Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. This is, this is the one you're supposed to have. All right, here we go. All right. I random mic on the way up. I didn't even uh, look at the label, so that's my bad. Um, good to see everybody. How are you doing this this, uh, this Sunday morning? Doing well. Um, again, I, I, you know, lately I've just been feeling really thankful for all of our volunteers and our teams, and, um, you know, today there is a number of technical difficulties that have hit during the service, and uh, one of my responses could be like marching into the office on Tuesday and just getting everybody riled up and like, why did that happen? Uh, the other is just um, taking a step back and realizing what we do here every Sunday morning, which is we set up a full church in a theater in record time, and then we tear it down in 25 minutes. And so for all the teams that are feeling their necks and you're like, oh, man, like that went wrong or that went wrong, uh, can we just give everybody a, a round? Yeah, just thank them for all their hard work. and. These guys care. I don't need to tell them to fix the stuff that has gone wrong this morning. They'll fix it. Uh, what they need to be is encouraged when things are going uh, not so good. So, guys, we're so thankful for what you're doing. And I'm just, like, looking broadly because you're just everywhere. Um, and it's a good kind of, like, reminder if uh, you're not involved in a team, get involved in a team. Don't come here and, like, le- uh, leech off of everybody else is doing hard work. Um, but, like, contribute. That, that would be a good thing if uh, you're not already contributing. Okay. Um, before we start, I just want to take a moment, um, uh, and th- this was, uh, hey, Theo, man, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> he's like, don't talk to me. Um, I'm not sure if he's feeling too good, so it's good to have you here, bud. Um, I just want to take a minute to uh, thank a couple of people in the room before we get started. And uh, I know this will mess, eat into my message time a little bit, and somebody's going to be really, uh, really frustrated that I took time out of God's Word to, to honor somebody. But I'm reminded of um, what Paul says within the Scripture, which is when one part of the body gets honored, the whole body is honored, which means like when we're thanking God for what he's doing in parts of the body, um, uh, that actually is a reflection of like, like what we're doing and what we're contributing in our part in the body of Christ. And so... Um, I just want to point out really quick, Jeff and Corey. Um, Jeff and Corey, can you just give a wave just for anybody who don't know where you guys are? Um, and I'm going to try to do this without uh, motion. I'm already emotional today. Last night was a terrible sleep for our family. Emma was up every half hour. I was up every half hour till a certain time, and then I just, I was done. Um, and so I'm already emotional, but um, Jeff and Corey, Emma and I, from the bottom of our hearts, just want to thank you for who you guys are. Um, if you don't know who these guys are, they've been with us ever since this, uh, we started as a church almost five years ago. And uh, Jeff serves on our board. Corey's on our worship team. They've led one of our most uh, healthy locals for the last uh, five years. And if you're in that local, can we give them a round of applause just for the impact that they've made on your families? And uh, I mean, we've been meaning to like meet up and, and tell you this in person, but like you're just going to have to hear it in front of the whole church. Um, we're really thankful for you guys. Jeff and Corey are moving to 
uh, Chicago. Um, Jeff is going to be there for at least two years, and we're praying that it's only two years. We know it's a big impact on your family. Um, it's a big impact on us here as a church. And uh, we just want you to know that as you guys go there, we're praying for you, um, that we love you guys lots, and we're going to miss you a ton. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that lightly. Like, I'm not just taking, I don't know if we've said a goodbye like this to just people that are moving on, because there's a lot of people that move on from church. Um, but you guys have made a massive difference in our church, and you guys have led, helped lead our church through some really difficult seasons, even stuff that has happened behind the scenes that you've just taken the brunt of and, and put it on your shoulders and carried it for a season. You guys have been praying over Emma and I since we started. You've been some of our best supporters in here. And so as much as, as we as a church are going to miss you guys over the next couple of years, Emma and I just wanted you to know personally that we love you guys. We're really going to miss you and that we're praying for you. Um, and I know you guys are in a smaller condo while you're in Chicago, but you better make room for Six Richardsons because we're coming to visit. Um, so, guys, can we all just extend a hand to Jeff and Corey as they go through this? Uh, yeah, we're going to clap for them in just a second, but why don't we just extend a hand? I want to pray for them um, as they go to Chicago. God, we just want to thank you for the Carlses' um, faithfulness over the last five years. God, we actually wouldn't be where we are today without their faithfulness. God, there have been moments in worship where Corey has led us into just such a depth of your presence that, God, we are, we've been changed by your presence, but also by her faithfulness. God, um, Jeff has, has borne, uh, or, or, yeah, borne the brunt of some stuff that, that nobody else will have to bear because he's, he's bared it for them. And, God, we just thank you for his faithfulness in trying seasons and good seasons, a, a, a wise word in a timely season. God, we thank you for their impact and just the relationships they've built through the, just the different families that are represented in this room, but beyond just their local, the people that look to them and the people that love them. And God, as much as we know that in some ways they're excited for Chicago, but in many ways they wish they were still here, God, we pray that this would be a fruitful season for them. That, God, they would see the fruit of their, their obedience and their labor over the next couple of years. And that, God, whatever comes after it, that, God, you would show them that they are walking according to your plan and that you do have a, a, a glorious future in front of them. So, God, we honor them in this moment. We thank you for them. And, God, we pray your hand of protection and blessing upon them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, Carl. Says we love you. All right, and uh, now we're going to speak. I'm going to preach out of uh, Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bible with you, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And um, uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's, that's totally fine. Um, I pointed out in the PM, one person brought their, their Bible uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was, like, so proud of them. I, like, pointed them out. I gave them all this congratulations. And uh, I didn't realize that Jared had actually sent them home for the Bible, um, because he didn't bring his Bible. And so the only reason they had their Bibles because one of our pastors forget their Bibles. And they were getting all this praise for bringing their Bible. It was kind of forced. It was like a forced bringing of their Bible. But anyway, so anybody bring your Bible to the morning service? We got some faithful Christians. That, that's great. Anybody have it on their phone and you're just like, listen, I brought my phone. I, I did have. All right. We'll, we'll see what God says about that when we all get to heaven. But uh, it'll do for this morning. 
Okay, we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 4. Um, just bring us up to speed on who Luke is. Luke is not one of the, um, the original 12 disciples, but he is, um, he is a doctor. He is somebody who values accuracy, and he writes a gospel of Jesus' life because he wants to reiterate um, what people have heard about Jesus, but he wants to present it with some level of accuracy. And um, I find that fascinating just because a lot of the um, other accounts, we've got people that um, directly follow Jesus, Matthew and John. But Luke wants to like, give this like, historical, very accurate account of kind of what happened. And so out of all of the different um, gospels that have written, been written about Jesus, kind of the order of Luke really matters chronologically and all the rest. And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4, and we're dealing with the temptation of Jesus. And I'm going to just read it quickly. I'm not going to narrate a whole lot. And where we're going to go with the message this morning is I'm going to talk about each of the different temptations that Jesus um, uh, resisted. And then after that, I just want to talk about some broad themes that we can apply to our lives as followers of Jesus. And so here we have it in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And that... Uh, during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will always, it, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord with your God, Lord your God, and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you, God, that you set an example for us within Scripture that allows us to not only follow, but allows us to lean into what you've done. And God, as we gather here this morning, we just, we're just thankful for um, a God that would come down and pay a price for us that we could not pay in our own strength. God, that we can sit here as sons and daughters of the living God because of what you've done for us. And so, God, as we sit here in your presence and in the freedom that you offer, God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in only a way that you can and that your Holy Spirit um, would administer to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. And everybody said. Amen. Amen. Just checking if you're awake. Um, listen, this morning is a pretty, um, a pretty straightforward message. It's not something that I'm, I even want to take too, too much time with. Um, I want to get back to worship um, and, and worship God after this message because the truth is, is that every one of us in this room experiences the same things that Jesus was experiencing during these 40 days and, and at the end while he was being, uh, being tempted. And uh, the thing is, is that we can't live a day without temptation. And uh, for a lot of us, we kind of go unaware um, that, that we're being tempted because we just chalk it up to other things, that... that um, that temptation to 
uh, side-eye that woman on the street um, a third time is really just like me battling with like a physical uh, uh, component of my life rather than maybe uh, a temptation of the enemy to get our, our, our eyes off of what they actually should be on, right? Or that, uh, you know, just going and, and treating our body, bodies like garbage as we just uh, binge another show of Netflix. It's kind of just unrelated to our soul and that it's just something that we, we do and, and, you know, we need to relax and that sort of thing. Like how many of us get to the end of the night, end of a night, and, uh, and especially parents in the room, and you're like, I just need some me time. Um, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times Emma and I have come to the end of a night ourselves, and we know what's best for us. We know that the best thing for us to do after the kids are in bed is probably 20 minutes later to go to bed ourselves. But like how many times do we like after a busy day and everything else, whether you have kids or not, you get to the end of the night and you're like, I know the best thing for me to do is to go to bed. But you're like, yeah, but that's not the type of rest I need. Like the type of rest I need is like to be able to be awake and be rested, right? Like this is a lie that we tell ourselves, everyone in the room, like you'll just have a busy, maybe, maybe it was you had a busy day at work and you went to the gym and then you had your local. And then after all of that, you're like, I know the best thing for me to do is to go to bed. But instead of going to bed, what do we do? We're like, no, I need awake rest time. Like, everybody's had this conversation. And so what we do is we stay up late and everything else. And then, like, how many of us, like, we're, like, our worst selves the next day because we had awake rest time, which was really just awake distraction time, which was really just, like, awake getting our minds off of the things that really matter most time. And what we find is, like, just over time, rather than... um, trying to be aware of what the enemy's up to in our lives and not being all kooky about it and all the rest. Like, we've got to be careful that we're not just seeing, like, a demon under every rock. But what begins to happen to our souls is we just start to, like, deteriorate in our, our ability to understand that the enemy is at work. Now, one of the things that I've heard before, and we've all kind of heard this saying, is that the best trick of the enemy is to get us to believe that he doesn't exist. Like, I mean, that's one of the, because at the end of the day, it's like, who cares if, if, if God doesn't, doesn't exist for some people, right? Like for us in the room, like I think that probably matters. But for some people, that, 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 that ship has already sailed. The bigger test is like, can we get them to believe that the, the devil doesn't exist? Because if you believe the devil exists, then you need somebody that can beat up the devil. <laughs> and if you don't believe the devil exists, then you might just think that you have no need of a savior. If there's no need to understand what sin is, then there's no need to understand what a savior is for. And so what we have in this passage is we have the, the devil himself, now, most of us don't deal with the devil himself um, um, uh, impacting us. And that's probably a, a word that all of us here need to hear is that the, the devil himself is not like coming around and like knocking at your door and tempting you. But the enemy, the, the, the demonic, the, the evil spirits of the world are the ones that often craft things in such a way that we are tempted. But what we have is we have the devil himself tempting Jesus. And as he comes to the end of this 40 days and 40 nights, what we see is that he is tempted in some ways that, that, that kind of just make a lot of sense. So let's look at, at the first temptation. The devil says to Jesus, he says, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. I want to take a look at this because um, this, whole, this whole morning we're going to be focusing just on the topic of temptation. And one of the first things that we have to understand about temptation is that the enemy will come at you in your weakest moment with the thing that you struggle with most. So it's not, it's not a coincidence that at the end of these days it says he was hungry. And that the devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. 
And he says, listen, it is, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The enemy is, enemy is smart. Like, like, one of the things that we have to understand about temptation in our lives is that you're not just going to be tempted with random things in random moments and always be able to detect what the enemy is up to or what temptation is up to in your life at any given moment because it's just easy to spot. Like, if I'm with my kids and there's a temptation to just, like, go kill somebody, I'm going to be like, that's kind of stupid. Like, I, like that's going to be easy for me to identify and be like, that's not, that's not something I'm going to give into. This is not a temptation that I need to pay attention to. This is not something that's even tempting for me to do, right? It's not just like, we're just like making a nice sandcastle at the park, and it's like, you know what? You should just go over there and just like kill somebody. You know, some of us would be like, well, I've had those thoughts in my head. Yes, but, but it was just as easy to be like, that's a stupid thought, right? But the temptations that really come and the ones that we really have to be on guard for are the ones that come in the moments of weakness. And so one of the ways in which we can identify and stay strong against temptation is to pay attention to when we are weak. Now, I give the example of like staying up and binging Netflix because that's a moment that we are weak. For those of us in the room that struggle with something like pornography, like that's a moment that you should be really careful of because that's a moment of weakness. There's a reason why you're tempted to look at things you shouldn't be looking at at the end of the day and not just when you wake up in the morning. Because there's not too many people that wake up in the morning and they're like, you know what, today would be a great day to just like open up my laptop and look at things that I shouldn't look at. Like let's start the day like that. That would be a great way to start the day. Unless you're in the room and you're like, actually, that, that, is, that is part of the temptation. That, that would mean that you're probably severely addicted to something like pornography. But how many of us, those of us that haven't struggled with that for, for, very, uh, for a long time or whatever else, and when we justify those moments of staying up very late, we find ourselves at the very end of the night, and what comes is the temptation to do something that we, we shouldn't do. And if your struggle is in pornography, how many of us late at night are struggling against thoughts that, about people that we love in our lives and we start to think the worst about them in the worst of our day? So one of the things that we have to pay attention to when it comes to temptation is that we actually, we actually have to pay attention to the moments that we are the weakest because it's moments that we are the weakest that are going to tell us a lot about what we are being tempted for. It's going to tell us a lot about what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. It's going to tell us a lot about a weak point in our souls that the enemy is trying to, um, is trying to um, extrapolate in order to get a foothold in our lives. So one of the ways in order uh, to fight off temptation is actually to find ourselves and ask ourselves, when am I weakest and what's happening in those moments? And then honestly, just try to avoid some of those weak moments. It's not, it's not a coincidence that the, at the end of 40 days and 40 nights of fasting that the first thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is to eat something. Now, some of us might ask the question, what's wrong with eating something at the end of the 40 days? Now, we'll get to that in just a moment. But what I want to look at is something just a little bit deeper, is that what is really going on here is not even just a temptation in the weakest moment, but what we see in the first two temptations is that Jesus' sonship is being questioned in, 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 this, in this story. Which is to say, what's really being tempted is his identity. What's really being ten, tempted in this, in this place is his identity as a child of God, as the son of God. And this is something that I want to speak to all of us in this room, is that it can become really easily easy to question the way that God looks at us. It can be really easy in between Sundays, in between locals, in between times of prayer to question where we stand with God. And it's really important to remind our souls of what God thinks about us. The thing is, is that God thinks a lot about us. God thinks 
high thoughts about us. God has, has died a, a sinner's death for us. The reason why we can trust in God is because God himself is the one that proclaims our identity over us. We don't just claim that thing for ourselves. And so what we see is he says, like, it, uh, he says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, for, for some of us, our identities that are in question might not even have a lot to do with being a child of God, although I would argue that most of our temptations would boil down to that. But for a lot of us, what we actually see is that what's being, a, what's being tempted and what's being in question in our lives is often like, if you were a good father, this is what you would be doing. If you were a good mother, this is what you would be doing. If you were a good friend, this is what you, you would be doing. If you were a good fit, then this is what you would be doing. And the problem with that along with this question of why didn't Jesus, like, like Jesus being tempted to eat bread at the end of 40, doesn't seem like a, like a bad temptation. What's actually being questioned within this temptation is a dependency on God. And honestly, for a lot of us, that is the core question in a lot of our temptation is, are you going to depend on your own will or are you going to depend on the will of God? Like, like let's boil it down for our, our identities as parents, for those of us in the room. Often I'll, I'll have this thought, like the kids are doing something and maybe I know it's, it's not good for them. Like they're on their fifth like uh, yogurt tube of the night, uh, which is like all too real in our household. It's like, I don't know why they design fridges at the height of toddlers, but they do. And then like the drawer that pulls out with the yogurt tubes in it is like right in there. And uh, they'll just walk up. It's like they just think that it's an all-you-can-eat buffet, and they walk by. It's like all in one motion. They just, like, open up the door, open up the drawer, grab it, shut it, and they, like, walk to the couch. And we're like, what are you doing, you know? And these yogurt tubes are not, like, healthy snacks. Like, if you look at them, it's just sugar. It's like, I don't even think you can call it yogurt. It's just like they just funneled liquid sugar into a tube, and they're like, just put yogurt on the label. They'll forget about it, you know? Like, after a little while of debating and whatever else, they, they just won't even know. And so in that moment of, of, of Claire walking by and grabbing her fifth yogurt tube, like, we'll be like, hey, that's not good. And then she'll be kicking up a fuss, and she's like, you know, and she, she wouldn't say something like, uh, you don't love me, because our kids would never say that. And, uh, but, like, but those thoughts start to come to your mind. And you're like, man, like, and what starts to come to your heart is like, like, like if you are a good father, you just give it to her. I mean, that's what comes to mind. It's like, like, these are the temptations that, that, that start to eat at us, aren't they? They're not the ones that are blatant. Like, like, you should just, like, throw them out on the street because they won't listen to you. You should get them to, like, ask the neighbor if they could rent a room from their house. Like, those things, those thoughts that come to mind, those are easy to throw away. But the, like, just let them do whatever they want to do, and that'll show that you're a good parent, is a temptation that comes to a lot of parents. And you can insert whatever story that you have for yourself, but what's really happening in this moment is is asking this question, is there a dependence upon God or is there a dependence upon our own will? Now you might wonder, like, how does yogurt tubes and God's will and dependence actually relate to one another? And this is where it relates to one another. Is that at the end of this season, or this, um, this more than a month of fasting, day and night, Jesus being tempted with eating bread is not as much about him eating at the end of his fast. We all understand in this room, like, Jesus at some point is going to need to eat, Right? We all understand that like, he didn't fast all the way until his death, right? So he does eat. Like at some point, he eats. And it's not like the enemy's there and he's like, ha, got you. Like 14 days earlier, I told you to do that. No, in that moment, something's happening. And there's a, there's a temptation to de- depend on his own will to provide for himself rather than to allow God to provide for him. 
And this is what he says. He says, it is written that man does not live on bread alone. In other accounts of of this same uh, passage, it goes on to say, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father's mouth. What he's saying is that the things that I most deeply desire in this world are not going to be filled by me getting my own way, but by allowing God to fill that gap in me. Here's the thing. The thing that you worry most about in life, the thing that you're hungering for most in this life, is not going to be accomplished by your own will. You can apply this principle to any, any area of temptation in your life. To climb the corporate ladder in your own strength and in your own will, listen, like, like that's a real temptation for a lot of us in this room. But at the end of the day, God is saying, like, listen, trust in my sustenance. Trust in my, de- de- depend on me and where I'm taking you. Don't just try to do it all in your, in your own strength. For those of, of us in the room that we want to shortcut the, 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 um, the, the process of parenting and, or, or shortcut the process of getting what we want, there's this temptation to take it into our own will rather than trusting in the divine grace and provision of God. And so he says, listen, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father's mouth. I want to encourage us today, church, that when we're faced with, the te- with temptation, to de- take a deeper look at what's actually happening in that moment and to trust God and what his plan and what his will is for our life, even if it doesn't feel in that moment like, like we should give it any thought at all. It's easy to rationalize why should we should take things for ourselves, but it's even more important to release to God his plans for our lives. Okay, second one. Are you still with me? Does that help at all? The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will, be, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's really interesting that, um, that in this passage, He's led to a high, a high throne. We, we obviously are a high point on, on the mountain. We obviously know by the story of Jesus' life that he's actually come here to become like king of the world. Like he's going to die a sinner's death, yes, but he's going to die a, a savior's death. He's going to die this death into kingship as, as uh, the one that we serve. And yet there's a temptation here, again, to shortcut the thing that God has called him to do, the thing that he has partnered with God to do as God, the thing that he has come to do. And in this passage, he's saying, like, listen, if you do this right now, if you worship me, I will give it all to you. And then Jesus follows it up and says, worship, it is written to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, one of the things that's happening in this passage, again, relates to a lot of the things that we struggle with in our own lives. Uh, The things that we struggle with in our lives have a lot to do with our allegiance to God. What's happening in this passage is the enemy is going, listen, I know that you want to follow God, and I know that you are God, and I know that you have this special relationship, but I can give you what you're after after much much quicker if you will actually bow to me. There's this this offering of a shortcut, and the shortcut is, is, is gained by by trading in his allegiance to God to an allegiance with the enemy. Now, again, this, this, some, of, some of the times when we read what Jesus is going through, it's kind of like, well, yeah, Jesus went through this, and it just kind of seems like problems that he'd face that we would never face. And I'm trying to get us to see that these are, these are some of the questions that are at the root of our temptations every single day. 
that often there's this temptation to take what is ours earlier than when God wants to give it to us. The question is whether or not we will serve God or serve the things that are around us. And so Jesus' response is not just sort of random or it doesn't just relate to what the enemy is saying. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only, as if that's the only thing he's speaking to. He quotes a passage right after what is called the Great Schema. And the Great Schema in Deuteronomy is a passage of scripture that the Jewish people would read um, to their families every single day. And the great schema is actually what we know as the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as itself. And this is quoted back to, back to Satan, um, that this, this, uh, this passage, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, is quoted uh, in this passage in order to indicate something that is greater and something greater that's happening as Jesus begins to communicate. The enemy would have understood the back end of this passage is actually referring to this allegiance that God has, that Jesus has with God his Father. Now this is important to, to uh, realize because often what happens in our temptations and in the state that we find ourselves when we're being tempted is that we actually find ourselves not struggling with worship because that's like, again, this like, this, this concept that if we really boil it down, yes, that's the thing that we're dealing with. But a lot of us find ourselves struggling with what we're serving in that moment. And so rather than dealing with things over the long haul and dealing with things over the course of time, what we do is we often take shortcuts and serve things that we ought not to serve. What we see here is that, the, uh, that, that Jesus is saying, listen, I'm only to serve God. My allegiance is with him. And for a lot of us in the room, we go, okay, yes, my allegiance is with God. But for a lot of us, if we started to look at our lives and the things that we've been struggling with this past week, we might ask some questions of ourselves. Are we, are we serving God or are we serving our anxieties? Are we serving God or are we serving our deepest fears? Are, are we serving God or are we serving the, the, those areas in our lives that we, we, we fear are not going to come about? So we're, we want to take those things in our own hands. And rather than, be, uh, than, than have our allegiance to God, we have our allegiance to material things and things in this world. Now, I want to give you a practical example. We were out with our, um, our local uh, camping this past weekend. I guess the weekend is still going on. Um, but from Thursday to Saturday, we were camping with our local and uh, as we were around the fire, everybody was joking. They're like, what kind of stories are going to end up in the message this Sunday? I was like, oh, you know, none. And I'm like, here we go. Um, it's all going to come out. All of the, I'm, I'm just kidding. This, I, I'm actually not going to tell a specific story. But I was sitting next to our trailer. And Em and I, um, last year, we bought a, a travel trailer that we tow behind our truck. And I'm still not sure if I bought it to, like, take our kids on vacations or I just wanted to feel more like a man and tow something. Um, but it's, it's doing both. Our kids are enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and it's really great. And this trailer that is parked in our, our parking lot, we bought last year. It was stored indoors um, for the course of its life, so I think it's 15 years old. It's in good shape, stored indoors. And we pulled it out of storage this year, and um, as I pulled it out of storage, um, I was walking around, and we stored it outside for the first year in its, in its existence. I was walking around it, and I felt some soft spots uh, on, on the floor of, of, the, um, of the trailer. Now, this isn't like a good sign because as soon as you find a soft spot, what it means is that likely something has set in and it's starting to like wear the plywood underneath. Everything's so thin in these trailers and that you're going to have a big problem. And so we went away on a two-week vacation earlier this, uh, earlier this summer and then we went away with this trailer again this past weekend. And uh, I picked up where I left off because at the end of that previous vacation, I was just like walking around. And it was a little bit like me on this stage because sometimes I think I'm going to fall through it. 
But uh, I'd be like walking, I'd be like bouncing. And uh, Emma had, like, was so sick of me doing this. She's like, can you stop bouncing around our trailer? And so now like, I'll be like walking around our trailer like, man, I feel like it's getting softer. And then I'll hear the door open. I'm like, I'm not doing anything, you know? It's like she's caught me doing something really bad. It's like, what were you doing? And it's like, nothing, you know? Um, I was about to share a meme that uh, wouldn't be appropriate. But anyway, um, and I just like, I catch myself like nothing. And so this is the way I kind of ended our two weeks of vacation. And then I started, I like picked it right back up the moment we started this camping trip with our local. All of a sudden I get into the trailer and I'm like bouncing around the floors and I'm like looking up at the ceiling and I'm like, man, this thing's going to fall down. It's going to catch on fire while we're sleeping. This thing is like, I'm going to have to replace this whole floor. It's going to be like $4,000. And it's just going over my mind over and over and over again. And I'm sitting in my like $15 lawn chair beside this thing that I've bought that our family can enjoy that's just stressing me out. And I really felt God kind of speak to me. And he's like, is that thing serving you and giving you rest the way that you purchase it for? Or are you serving it? And I just began to realize like, like that was like, like a hint for me about what was actually happening in this moment. But all of a sudden I began to realize all of the areas in my life that I'm using and I'm serving that anxiety in my life. I'm serving that fear in my life. And rather than receiving from it what God wants me to have from it, which is rest and joy and peace and like just a moment where we can like gather as a family, I'm trading it for this, this, this overthinking, this, this worship of material things because honestly, what it's doing is it's replacing all those moments and gaps in my day that God wants to fill. And for so many of us in this place, that's what anxiety is doing, is it's replacing those moments in your day that God wants to remind you, like, hey, you're my child. Hey, guess what? I love you so much that I would die on a cross for you. Hey, you see how you're handling this situation? There's a better way by following my will. And instead of listening to God's voices in those moments, we so easily trade it for serving that anxiety. Hey, what would happen if your boss told you that you were done today? Hey, you forgot, you forgot that, that one project at work. I bet you when you come back from the weekend, the boss is going to call you and you're done. Hey, what, what do you think you're doing moving away from your family for school? Like, don't you realize that you're, like, like you're in the wrong program? And we start to allow these anxieties and these fears to fill our lives to the point where we actually find ourselves serving the anxiety, serving the fear, serving the thing that, that, that God's like, hey, it's in your life for a good reason. But all of a sudden, rather than God being, allow, uh, being the one that we're serving and filling up all these moments and allowing him to be the worship of our lives, we find ourselves serving the things that were meant to serve us. And he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Allow only God to captivate your thoughts. Allow God to be the only one who you serve. I have some bigger points I said I was going to share, and I don't think I'm going to share those. Those will be for another message, but I want to go into this third temptation, and the band can actually begin to come back up. It says that the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This final one, once again, we see the enemy just taking some low-hanging fruit. And uh, I found it interesting as I was studying this passage that 
I've always kind of asked this question. I'm like, what do you mean he took him up to the point, the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, to jump off? And uh, it's always kind of like, like bothered me that I'm like, why, like, why, why is that in there? Like, I just can't imagine this actually happening uh, in the ancient Near East during Jesus walking. Like, all of a sudden, the devil leads him up to the top of the temple and is tempting him to jump off, like, to the people below, which um, is, is quite high. Um, first of all, like, Jesus getting up there would have been even, even being Jesus, because they didn't accept him as Jesus, right? Like, he was still just like a prophet. They didn't know what to do about it. Like, he, he wouldn't have been able to get up there. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that it would have been a public spectacle. Like, like there would have been a lot of people like, like, who's the crazy guy telling people to follow him that's, like, kind of suicidal, wants to jump off the, the temple, right? And um, as I was beginning to study this, I don't know, like, some of you have probably already figured this out, and you're probably already, like, uh, we know that, like, we've already been taught it, like, 15 years ago, like, get with the program. But one of the things that I found actually really interesting is that the one commentator said that this was, a, was most likely a vision-like experience, where in, in his state of mind after those 40 days and those 40 nights, that Jesus in his mind would have been led up to this high place and thought, hey, I could test God by jumping, jumping down. Then he's saying, you could test God by jumping down, and he'll save you. Like, go do it. Now, listen. I don't need somebody like emailing me this week and being like, uh, that's not true, and your sermon sucked. Uh, <laughs> I get those emails all the time. My gosh. Uh, actually, nobody really knows my emails, so I don't know who's getting those emails. Uh, pray for the volunteer team that, <laughs> that manages the info account that doesn't send me any of those. Um, but I, what I want us to think about is that this is actually a place that a lot of us actually do spend in our minds. Envisioning the thing that's not actually happening and that becoming a temptation to us. I can tell you from experience that even when things have gotten got really difficult in the middle of the pandemic, it was like, hey, you could just like move away and the church would be okay. Just, just go do something else. And I think that this state of mind is actually something that those of us, if we could just like open up what's happening when we're hanging out with friends and we're supposed to be enjoying the time or we're spending time playing on the floor with our kids and we're supposed to be enjoying their presence. But there's this other thing that's going on in the back of our minds, isn't it? It's this disturbing like reality of like, I could just escape it all. I could just get out of here. I could just, I could just make my own way. I could just, you know what? I could, I could see if God was really with me. I just, I just quit it all and I'll just start all over. Yet Jesus reminds the devil and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he says this because these big moments that we sometimes fantasize about are not the things that God calls us to, but the consistency of every day in which God has already provided for. God's already in today. In that weakest moment that you're struggling with, like he's there, ready, ready, ready to help you, ready to serve you. I'm going to give the big themes, but then I'm not actually going to like say everything I was going to say about them. Here's some things that we need to recognize about temptation is that first of all, Jesus was tempted. And so no matter what you are tempted with or no matter what you're struggling with in your life, what we know about temptation is that temptation itself is not a sin. It's what we do with the temptation. It's a really important thing to recognize as we go through this world and the things of the world grip our hearts and 
You know, it's tempted to try to get more than those around us. It's tempting to try to get things in a way that God hasn't asked us to get it. But these temptations are merely temptations. What we do with them is what matters. One of the other things that we have to understand is that there will constantly be this process of resisting temptation or being tempted and resisting temptation. And on this side of eternity, we can't get away from it. So we need to begin to rely on Jesus. The next thing we need to realize is that it's scripture that Jesus uses to fend off temptation. And so for some of us, we're wondering, why is it so difficult to fight the things that God's placed in our lives? Why is it so difficult to fight this thing that I've been renumerating, whatever that word is, over and over again in my head? Like, why is it so easy to push that away? And the, real, the, real, the reality of this situation is like, maybe we haven't been spending enough time in God's word to hear what he has to say about that thing in our lives. And over and over again, what we begin to see is that temptations are real. They're not sin, but what we do with them. That we're going to have to resist these temptations for our whole lives. And that scripture is the way in which we empower ourselves to get over. What I want to encourage us as a church just in this moment is that if anything I've been saying or the spirit has been convicting you in this room or there's been something that you're going, man, I've been allowing that to captivate my thoughts more than God. I just want to encourage us in this moment. I want to invite you into releasing that to God in these final moments. And so why don't we stand to our feet the worship team is going to begin to play here and to begin to sing. And as a response to what God's been speaking in this room this morning, I just want to, again, every head can bow and every eye close just for privacy. But if, if you're here today and just, there's just been something, like the Spirit's just been reminding you that you've been holding on to a temptation or a thought or this intrusive thought for so long and and you just know it's time to let it go. Or maybe it's just that you've been giving into temptation and you need to let it go. Again, with every head bowed and eye closed, we're about to go into worship as our response. I just want to encourage you, if that's you, could you just raise your arms and surrender in this place? Just raise your arms and just begin to surrender that thing to God as you begin to sing. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.